Welcome back to the Only You Podcast. It's your boy, Lo Jackson. This month, the month of May, we are going over Mr. Mark Twain, a wonderful writer. His real name was Samuel Longhorn Clemens. He grew up in Florida, Missouri. Thank you all for following me. Thank you for sharing me. In the beginning of this podcast, I started doing this just as a way to grieve to try to understand what I was going through because I had lost my whole support system just in a couple years and people I loved and cared for that were always there for me and you know sometimes we can be our own worst enemies in life sometimes we feel like we don't want to share what's going on with people because nobody would understand and reality we are our own worst enemies and you know there are cells inside of your heart when people say oh I can feel it in my heart well that's true because there's real neuro cells inside of your heart that have feeling that transmit you know electric pathways to your brain that make you feel and remember um how sad you are but when you carry those feelings for long periods of time you know it be it becomes you become part of the sensory um um programs that they have out there and i don't know if anybody knows what the uh um the sensory integration um disorders are but it, they are they start at the top with ODD to the left of that is ADHD and to the right is specific learning difficulties autistic spec, uh spectrum disorder anxiety Tourette's OCD development and co or uh ordain action disorder gifted ADD, auditory processing, and depression. And then it goes back into ADHD, ODD. That's why I feel like um, if you have ADD, ADD, excuse me, ADHD, I feel like you're depressed and you have oppositional defiant disorder at times because I suffer from ADHD and I have from my whole life. And, you know, it, ADHD makes you feel like uh, you're your own worst enemy. There's nothing you can do right. Um, all you try to do is people please. You try to understand every single person around you, and you try to cater to every person besides yourself. You pretty much, you know, become your own worst enemy. And some of us don't even realize that we're suffering from, like I said, another podcast, you know, spotlighting syndrome, where we take the last three worst things that we ever did, and we just think that everybody around us is thinking about it. We meet a new person, and oh, they probably know all about it, you know, and I did that for a long time, too, and it's a rough situation when you have these things going on inside of yourself, but you don't want to share it with anybody because you do, you always feel like nobody would understand, and that's not true, and in my other podcast, too, I said this, you know, when you find someone to be with and that person actually does abuse you and you continue to stay with that person and you question yourself at times but in reality what's going on is you abuse yourself inside of your mind to a certain extent that once you find somebody someone to be with or you like them or you jive with them you click with them you have things in common whatever if that person abuses you but doesn't abuse you as bad as you abuse yourself you will stay with that person to the day you die 
And that's unfortunate too at times because a lot of people suffer from great, great abuses inside of their minds by themselves. And some people play the victim after that and they continue, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me. But in reality, they're creating all these situations inside of their head. I know I, I've seen people in my lifetime do this several times in my family and it's alarming. But once you try to tell them about it, what do you... I mean, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. You can't save anybody but yourself in this lifetime. And you are enough. And once somebody realizes that, you know what? I can do this. I can do everything that everybody else is doing. I can't believe that they would pass me up for that position and give it to somebody who's way less qualified. Well, have you ever stepped back and think about maybe... um, It ain't about the qualifications. Maybe it's your behavior. Maybe it's um, the way you're coming off to people. You know, you can't please everybody. And if you're trying to please everybody, there's no way you can make important decisions for a whole team, you know, or whatever it may be that you're involved in. Um, Today, I'm going to be reading to you a short read by Mark Twain called Luck. And I wanted to also share some of the people that Mark Twain influenced on this podcast He influenced Charles Dickens, and though the two never met, they were alive at the same time. Um, Twain's professional view was that Dickens was a bad reader who didn't cut the syllables clearly, excuse me, cleanly, and... I don't know if that was a professional, respectful pot shot, you know, back in the day, or, you know, because us as humans, we're rivals, you know? It's born and bred in us as U.S. citizens that we have to be the best at everything. And it's unfortunate because, honestly, we have raised our kids now to, you know, look past McDonald's. Look at McDonald's as though they're better than McDonald's. But in reality, McDonald's won't hire teenagers anymore because they feel like they're irresponsible. And they've gone back to hiring older people and people that have a little bit more experience in life, which is unfortunate because those jobs are looked on as though they're, you know, not worthy, but unfortunate, unfortunately, that's the way we are raising our culture that, you know, you don't have to go shovel shit to be a farmer. You know, it's all about jumping in that combine and combining corn. Well, I can guarantee you it's not. I've lived that life too, and it's a hard day's work, and a lot more goes into it than anybody knows. And when people are like, oh, farmers are rich, well, I got I got news for you. They may be rich, but it comes with a price, and they're working every single day, 24-7, nonstop, trying to um, feed the world or generate better fuels to help fuel the world whatever it may be you know a lot more goes into things that we have any idea about but we need to stop raising our kids as though they're better than these jobs you know we need to raise our people not even just our kids our people even our young men and women our workforce people that you know you start at the bottom and you work your way up so then you understand everybody's position there You understand what it feels like to be mopping that floor and unclogging that toilet or, you know, you understand what it feels like wrapping that package and while everybody else is just putting, you know, organisms in that box or whatever, you know, or product in that box, whatever it may be. 
we have to realize there's a hierarchy when it comes to being great and that's starting at the bottom learning every single thing about that entity when there's a lot of moving parts in a business you don't just go in and start playing that business role like oh i'm going to be a business owner and i haven't ever even done any of these roles below this as owner but you know what? I can do it. I'm going to hire people to do it. Well, your business is going to, 99% of the time, your business is probably going to fail because you didn't take the time to appreciate and have no expectations on lower jobs and lower pay at the time that it was taking you to develop into being that business owner or a CEO. Um, Twain influenced the first Russian Renaissance painter, Pablo Picasso as well. Um, and I wanted to share with you guys that my eighth grade um, social studies teacher, his name was Mr. Rossano. He was a great guy. He told me, he's like, I started teaching with your oldest sibling. And he said, I'm finishing this year with you. You're the last one of your father's children. And I looked at him dead in the eyes and I was like, man, I love this guy. And he really won me over and he was everything he said he was he was a great teacher great influencer but he told me that when he was in fourth grade his grandma and grandpa owned a speakeasy in woodstock new york and he said he was walking down the street with his art class no yeah his art class and they were on their way to a small museum in that town that had opened up and he said uh, the art teacher told the kids kids stay right here do not move stand up against the wall i need to go speak to this person across the street and i'll be back in five minutes but please do not move from the wall and he said all the kids he said there was probably 20 of us we all stood up against this business wall and he ran across the street and he talked for five minutes and then when he came back he looked at all of us and he said kids do you know who that is right there and, and Mr. Rosano told all of us, he said, you wouldn't believe it. He was like, that was Pablo Picasso. <laughs> and I, I looked at him and I'm like, are you serious? He's like, I'm dead serious. I'm like, wow. Which, unfortunately, Mr. Rosano passed away now. But I wanted to share that because he was an awesome teacher. And the speakeasy was open during um, uh, the Prohibition years. And his grandma was um the bar owner and he told me she carried like a 32 pistol in her corset <laughs> it was cool he showed us a picture of her and everything and the bar it was, it was an interesting time but i wanted to share that about pablo picasso because he influenced mark twain as well or mark twain influenced him as well mark twain wrote more than 20 novels and in 1844 twain discovered a corpse in his father's office it was supposed supposedly it was a man who had been stabbed in a quarrel he had been placed there for uh, inquest, or late the coroner, probably. And in January of 1845, Clemens watched um, a man die in the street after being shot by a local merchant. Um, this incident proved the basis for Boggs' uh, shooting in Huck Huckleberry Finn. And then two years later, he witnessed the drowning of one of his friends. Then a few days later, while fishing with another friend, found a mutilated slave that had drowned, been drowned and beaten. And, you know, that's, that's tragic. That's horrible. I mean, think about it. I'm like, that's, uh, I don't know. That's just, could you imagine what they had to have done to 
uh, Mark Twain as a young man. You know, we're failing to make progress already. You know, studies ongoing toll of like premature black deaths to this day. In the last two decades, black Americans have suffered 1.63 million excess deaths and lost more than 80 million years of life compared to white Americans, according to new analysts, which, you know, there's 70% white people here, 20% African Americans, and then 10% other ethnicities. So, I mean, like when they make these polls, they're not really fair. I mean, obviously there's going to be more whites because there's more white people predominantly per capita of individuals in America. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, this, I'm, I'm reading to you. This article was written actually by, uh, Yusa Lee McFarlane on May 16th of 2023. And I thought I would share this with you today cause it was, it's wild, man. So anyways, um, according to a new an analysis, that is the first comprehensive attempt to qualify the impact of health, um, disparities by tallying years of potential life loss. The anal the analysis showed improvement was made in narrowing longstanding health gaps between black and white Americans between 1999 and 2011, but progress stalled through 2019, the COVID-19 pandemic, which disproportionated, uh, killed, excuse me, dis proportionately killed people who were black, Hispanic, Native American, and Pacific Islander, then ra rapidly increased the number of excess deaths in the black population. The findings published Tuesday in the Journal of American Medical Association by a group of physicians and health equity scholars follow a number of studies confirming that health disparities cause black Americans to die at a younger age than white Americans, which that's, that's sad. The authors said they undertook the new analysis hoping to highlight just how large and horrific that toll has become and added urgency to efforts to end the crisis of premature black deaths despite billions of dollars flowing into healthcare and a lot of rhetoric about health equity were failing to make progress said harlan crumholes a, a cardiologist and professor of medicine at the yale who directs the university's center for outcome research and um, evaluation. He was the study's senior author. It's not understood as a, it's not, un, excuse me, it's not understood as a national emergency. I don't know why it was so hard for me to say that to you guys. Sorry. <laughs> for years, veteran health equity scholar David Williams has likened the toll of premature black deaths to a fully loaded jumbo jet falling out of the sky each day and questioned why more has not been done. The new study similarly eliminates the depressing calculus of health disparities. It's grandmothers, fathers, loved ones, children, said Crumholes. We need to think about all these empty chairs at the dinner table. It's a staggering loss. And that's sad, you guys. I mean, that's alarming to me. And it's just something that makes you really think. Um... I don't know. I, I feel I feel sad for that population of people and we need to think more about, you know, long term um what might help uh our country succeed in helping people not die so early. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for following me and thank you for sharing me again. Hasn't Mark Twain been 
kind of an interesting author this month. He's well known for capturing what it feels like and what sights are feels like and with his writing with his words that he uses i guess he was like one of the best descriptive writers of all time and some of his writings that he writes are just they're amazing honestly you guys and thank you for listening and thank you for tuning in and this is luck by mr mark twain this is not a fancy sketch i got it from a clergyman who is a instructor at Woolrich 40 years ago and who vouched for its truth, Mark Twain. It was at a banquet in London in honor of one of the two or three conspicuously illustrious English military names of this generation for reason which will presently appear, I will behold his real name and titles and call him Lieutenant General Lord Arthur Scoresby. What a fascination there is in a renowned name. There say the man in actual flesh whom I heard of so many thousands of times since that day, 30 years before, when his name shot suddenly to the zenith from a Crimean battlefield to remain forever celebrated. It was food and drink to me to look and look and look at that demigod scanning, searching, noting the quietness the reserve, the noble gravity of his contentious, the simple honesty that expressed itself all over him, the sweet unconsciousness of his greatness, unconsciousness of hundreds of admiring eyes fastened upon him, Unconsciousness of the deep, loving, sincere worship, well out of the breast of those people and flowing toward him. The clergyman at my left was an old acquaintance of mine, clergyman now, but had spent the first half of his life in the camp and field and as an instructor in the military school at Woolrich. Just at the moment, I have been talking about a veiled and singular light glimmered in his eyes, and he leaned down and muttered confidently to me, indicating the hero of the banquet with a gesture, excuse me, gesture, privately, his glory is an accident, just a product of incredible luck this verdict was a great surprise to me if its subject had been napoleon or socrates or solomon my astonishment could not have been greater some days later came the explanation of this strange remark 
And this is what the Reverend told me. About 40 years ago, I was an instructor in the military academy at Woolrich. I was present in one of the sections when young Scoresby underwent his preliminary examination. I was touched to be quick with pity, for the rest of the class answered uprightly and handsomely while he, why, dear me, he didn't know anything, so to speak. He was evidently good and sweet and lovable and guileless, and so it was exceedingly miraculous for stupidity and ignorance. All the compassion in me was aroused in his behalf. I said to myself, when he comes to be examined again, he will be flung over, of course, so it will be simple, a harmless act of charity to ease his fall as much as I can. I took him aside and found that he knew a little of Caesar's history, and as he didn't know anything else, I went to work and drilled him like a galley slave on a certain line of stock questions concerning Caesar, which I knew would be used. If you'll believe me, he went through with flying colors on examination day. He went through on that purely superficial cram that got compliments too, while others who knew thousand times more than he got plucked by some strangely luckily accident, an accident not like not likely to happen twice in a century, he was asked no question outside the narrow limits of his drill. It was stupefying. Well, although his course, I stood by him with something of sentiment which a mother feels for a crippled child and always saved himself just by miracle, apparently. Now, of course, the thing that would expose him and kill him at last was mathematics. I resolved to make his death as easy as I could, so I drilled him, crammed him, and crammed him, and drilled him just on the line of questions which the examiner would be most likely to use and then launched him on his fate. Well, sir, try to convince, excuse me, well, sir, try to conceive of the result to my consternation. He took the first prize and with it, he got a perfect ovation in the way of compliments. Sleep. There was no more sleep for me for a week. My conscience tortured me day and night. What had done, I had done, purely through charity and only to ease the poor youth's fall. I never had dreamed of any such preposterous result as the thing that had happened. I felt as guilty and miserable as the creator 
of Frankenstein. Here was a wooden head whom I had put in the way of glittering promotions and prestigious responsibilities, but one thing could happen. He and his responsibilities would all go to ruin at the first opportunity. The, Crime the Crimean War had just broken out. Of course there had to be a war, I said to myself. We couldn't have peace and give this donkey a chance to die before he is found out. I waited for the earthquake. Oh, it came, and it made me real when it did come. He was actually gazetted to a captaincy in, marching in a marching regiment. Better foreseeing that they would go and put such a load of responsibility on such green and inadequate shoulders. I could just barely have stood it. If they had made him a coronet, but a captain, think of it. I thought my hair would turn white. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. I do appreciate every single one of you individuals who are listening right now. This is Luck by Mr. Mark Twain. Thank you guys for listening. Consider what I did. I so love repose and inaction. I said to myself, I am responsible to the country for this. And I must go along with him and protect the country against him as far as I can. So I took my poor little capital that I had saved up through years of work and grinding the grinding economy and went with a sigh and bought a cortency in his regiment and away we went to the field. And there, oh dear, it was awful. Blunders. Why? He never did anything but blunder. But, you see, nobody was in the fellow's secret. Everybody had him focused wrong and necessarily misinterpreted his performance every time. Consequently, they took his idiotic blunders for inspirations of genius. They did cry and rage and rave too, privately. And the thing that kept me always in a sweat of apprehension was the fact that every fresh blunder he made increased the luster of his reputation. I kept saying to myself, He'll get so high that when discovery does finally come, it will be like the sun falling out of the sky. He went right along up and grade to grade over the dead bodies of his superiors until at last, in the hottest moment of the battle of, down went our colonel 
and my heart jumped into my mouth. For Scoresby was next in rank. Now for it, said I, we'll all land in shoal in ten minutes sure. The battle was awfully hot. The allies were steadily giving way all over the field. Our regiment occupied a position that was vital. A blunder now must be destruction. As this critical moment, excuse me, at this critical moment, what does this immoral fool do but detach the regiment from its place and order a charge over a neighboring hill where there wasn't a suggestion of any enemy. There you go, I said to myself, this is the end at last. And away we did go, and there over, excuse me, and we're over the shoulder of the hill before the insane movement could be discovered and stopped. And what did we find? An entire and unsuspected Russian army in reserve. And what happened? We were eaten up. That is necessarily what would have happened in 99 cases out of a time it must be the entire English army and the slain Russian game was detected and blocked so they turned tail and away they went pell-mell over the hill and down into the field in wild confusion and we after them they themselves broke the solid Russia center in the field and tore through in no time there was the most tremendous rot you ever saw and the defeat of the allies was turned into a sweeping and splendid victory marshal can robert looked on dizzy and astonished admiration and delight and sent right off for scoresby and hugged him and decorated him on the field in presence of all the armies. And what was Scoresby's blunder that time? Merely the mistake, his right hand for his left. That was all. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. This is Luck by Mr. Mark Twain. An order had come to him to fall back and support our right, and instead he fell forward and went over the hill to the left. But the name he won that day as a marvelous military genius filled the world with his glory. And that glory will never fade while history books last. He is just as good and sweet and lovable and unpretending as a man can be. But he doesn't know enough 
to come in when it rains. He has been pursued day by day and year by year by a most phenomenal and astonishing luckiness. He has been a shining soldier in all our wars for half a generation. He has littered his military life with blunders and yet has never committed one that didn't make him a knight or a great, a lord or something. Look at his breast. Why, why he is just clothed in domestic and foreign decorations. Well, sir, every one of them is recorded of some shouting stu stupidity or other, and taken together, they are proof that the very best thing in all this world that can befall a man is to be born lucky. That was Luck by Mr. Mark Twain. I wanted to share a joke with you guys that my Uncle Steve had told me so many years ago. I can't remember the full joke, but it's something like this. At the end of a hard work day, two farmers were standing at the end of a truck bed. One was a good farmer, the other was the bad farmer. He said, the good farmer told the bad farmer, well, the rest of the week... The weather says it's going to be bright and sunny, and so the corn's going to go ahead and grow. The bad farmer says, well, you know, bright and sunny, that means it could be, you know, uh, no rain for months. Uh, corn's going to dry up. We're going to go through a drought. Nothing's going to grow. No money. And the good farmer chuckled. He said, well, I read the farmer's almanac. He said, next month. It's supposed to rain cats and dogs. He said, oh, great. He's like, it's gonna, we ain't going to make no money. Can't get no tractors in the field. going to be muddy. Going to have to wait till it all dries up. And the good farmer had another little chuckle. And they started talking. And he said, the good farmer said to the bad farmer this weekend, I wanted to know if you wanted to go um, duck shooting. He said, I got this new dog and I want to show him off. The bad farmer says, well, you know, it's probably going to be bugs all over. You know, we ain't going to shoot anything. Nothing's going to be around. And But at the end of the conversation, the bad farmer says, yeah, I'll go duck shooting with you. So the next morning comes rolling around. They go out there. They get in the boat. They paddle out there. They start doing their duck calls. And all of a sudden, ducks take off. Boom, boom. They shoot a bird. Down it goes. Good farmer looks at the bad farmer and says, this is what I've been waiting to show you, man. He said, get him, boy. Dog jumps up in the boat, walks on water, flies over there, grabs that bird in his mouth runs right back across the lake right back to the boat jumps in the boat and the good farmer looks at the bad farmer he said wasn't that wasn't that something wasn't that miraculous bad farmer looks him dead in the eyes says damn dog can't even swim <laughs> and this is what that this story reminded me of that joke because no matter what you do for a living or no matter who you are in life you're in charge of your own destiny but during that destiny I've learned that there will be pillars of people in your way always people are not gonna be rooting for you they're gonna be rooting for your demise and your downfall like Marcus Aurelius said every he, he every day he would wake up he would say I know today people are going to be meddling, conniving, jealous, upset, 
angry, mad, lying, deceitful. And he reminded himself of that daily. But he said, I will show compassion. I will be different. I will do things the way they should be done. And he did. And he went down in the history books for it. But that's what the story luck reminded me of, you guys. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. This has been a great day, a great read. It's beautiful out. And thank you for listening to this Mark Twain segment. I also wanted to add on this segment, don't let your experiences or someone out there allow your experiences to be minimized by anybody and for them to call it luck because luck means success or failure apparently brought by chance rather than through one's own actions. So, I believe in this story by Mark Twain that Scoresby actually had gained experience being in the position that he was in, even though he was given greater chances of getting there by somebody who was higher up or whatever. But, you know, luck is a word that is funny because there's no such thing as luck to me. I I don't believe in luck. I believe it's a lot of great decisions. I believe it's a lot of moral seed planting. I believe that if you hold true to the values that were instilled in you by people that cared for you, you know, you're not going to grow up to want to hurt people and, you know, be somebody that you're not you know a lot of us have many different types of behaviors but having a lucky behavior I've never heard of that you know and fortunately we have all lived long enough I think whether it be five or ten years because you know kids are like sponges they learn so fast and then teens are like sponges they learn so fast and then you get to a point in your life where you're learning becomes difficult and you start to deteriorate and downsize and compartmentalize all these different things that happen throughout life's um, currency and it's on life's terms the things that happen you can't control what other people do and things don't happen by chance for they are written already for you and you got to believe in that and if you don't You're going to run through your life aimlessly hoping that you can make it on, you know, a God that you made up in your mind that's soft and comforting and, oh, loving and caring. And, you know, he is what he is in your mind or she is in your mind because you don't want to be punished by your God. You don't want to be hurt by a greater entity you want it to be loving caring fluffy good times and never any bad times well unfortunately our god is a just god and life is ran by pretty much evil entities anymore and the evil one is running loose and we need to stand up for one another and realize that luck don't play a part in our lives and that our lives are in our control and it's up to us to con- choose compassion. It's up to us to 
see past someone else's shortcomings and realize just because somebody committed a crime 20 years ago or 10 years ago doesn't mean that they would commit the same crime over and it doesn't mean that that person doesn't deserve a second chance and unfortunately in the United States there's many people out there living this lifestyle that they've never been forgiven and they've never been given a second chance we have juveniles in prison that committed a crime when they were eight had no idea what they were doing but then again there are some that did know what they were doing I get it but we need to figure out ways and means to stop all the unluckiness and luck that we think is in the world because these are not luck or unluck you know parents set good seeds in motion for their children if you don't you know your child has more of a tendency to be you know um, a criminal or depressed or have sensory issues that are horrible you know I mean I know a kid that jumped up on a table at six years old and threatened to kill himself you know and then he was labeled ODD later oppositional defiant and he is one of the wildest interesting kids I've ever met and I feel for him because that is an unlucky situation we call things luck and unlucky but like in this read by Mark Twain was that really luck or was that you know his upbringing of the people that gave him morals and values and gave them gave him a god to believe in to become something of great stature maybe it's in his bloodline to be a great leader the gentleman that was against him i felt had no idea who he was dealing with he just thought that he was more educated and knew people better than someone who obviously had more of a um calling in life than the person that was misreading them in my eyes and I believe that every person out there has something special to offer the world every person out there has something to look forward to whether it be a baby whether it be a husband a wife whether it be a job whether it be a new car you know everybody has something great going for them right now and you know we are our own worst enemies in our minds and remember you got to tame that emotional abuse inside of yourself to the point where you're at peace with yourself start focusing on becoming peaceful start focusing on words that are peaceful you know use words of content not contempt find things that make you soothe mow your lawn like this person over here is you know feel free in the moments that you're living you got one life and a lot of us are living imprisoned in our minds and I feel there are great injustices done to many of us all around the world, honestly, not just here in America, but everywhere. I have no idea what it's like in other countries. I have no idea, you know, what people go through or what they think about luck or how they feel that success or failure apparently is brought by chance rather than through one's own actions, which... I don't think so. I mean, yeah, there are such things as luck of the draw, you know, when like the lottery. That's luck. Yeah, I get it. But please do something good in your life and plant good seeds, not lucky seeds. Don't shoot for the moon. Shoot for right now and the next moment. You know, the moon could be 40 years in the wilderness alone, you know. 
40 years could be getting beat down by the court system in every which way, shape, and form you could imagine. Even though you had a good heart and it still didn't matter, they still made you out to be a monster because you can't birth children or, you know, you are a different sex than other people or, or whatever it may be. You know, we are all going through stuff. Just be good to the world and do good and plant good seeds. That's all I ask. And I hope somebody out there hears this and realizes they are enough and that nobody's coming to rescue you. You are the flotation device of your life and that you can actually propel yourself into a great life of peace, understanding, no judgment, and you can live in your own means and be sufficient enough to realize that you are the person that your God wants you to be and that you're doing everything you're supposed to be. Even though some of us strive to be so much more and we beat ourselves up daily. And I, I can only imagine some of the things that people go through. Just when I think that I have it bad and that my life's horrible, I find somebody out there that's, wow, had a way worse life or has gone through so many different things that I have no idea about. But I feel compassion. I feel empathy. I feel aware that... I'm not the only person out there going through something and that when you see somebody down and out, it isn't time to talk and make fun or poke fun and laugh about shortcomings that somebody's suffering through. The person walking down the street that dresses not, you know, up to your standards or, you know, the guy. I used to say this to a guy that I worked with. We were driving to work one day. He's like, look at that homeless guy. He's like, dude, homeless people are everywhere in this city. I looked at him and I said, homie. Did you ever think about, that used to be somebody's baby. A mom and a dad got up and rocked that baby until it was able to walk, talk, and breathe on its own. Somebody cared for that person. 4,000 people cared about that person to get them here. That person's a miracle, man. We gotta stop looking at poverty and you know poor people as though they just fell on unlucky times. No, luck ain't real. Those things happen because their support system died or the people they depended on were way far more, more advanced in their minds than they were. Unfortunately, mental illness does run deep in the homeless community. You know, there's 125,000 homeless people and growing by the day in California. And I'm sure it's way more than that now. That was a year ago when I read that statistic, but... Thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. I haven't done a lot of talking on my episodes, but hopefully I get some good feedback about this one and we can go forward on doing some more cool podcasts like this. Hopefully you're enjoying Mark Twain. I've done um, Life on the Mississippi and The Prince and the Pauper. Um, I am really enjoying Mark Twain, though. This guy, he's just a great writer. And his descriptiveness of things and objects and feelings and it's he's a great writer (laughs) you'll know when you pick up a book or a short story of his and read it thank you guys for listening to the only you podcast and like i said this podcast is live like you can hear the cars passing by the studio right now and i have a little studio i built outside my yard i've been thinking about doing a video podcast and put it on youtube so you guys can see me if you want to because I mean, my followers are getting up there. I do appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. I know some of my podcasts suck, but not every single one can be as good as Michael Jordan, you know? Thank you guys for listening again. Love you all.